Hi, everybody. It's Jonah Pallone, and welcome to Owner Operated, conversations with small business millionaires. Listen, when I was growing up, most people just told me to follow the normal path and get a job at a big company with quote-unquote job security. Eventually, I woke up, and I pursued business going to UNC Keenan Flagler for undergrad. It was a great experience, but almost everything I was taught in the business school centered around big business and startups. During college, I was fortunate enough to land a position where I get to be around small business owners every day. I get an inside look at how they make tough decisions. I know more about these business owners than a lot of their spouses. With Owner Operated, I want to let you in behind the curtain. Listen, my entire life I've heard people give business owners a bad rap. Since I've gotten involved in helping business owners sell their companies at Midstreet, I've learned that most often the opposite is true. Small business owners are often the most giving and supportive people I surround myself with. I'm on a mission to get the word out that small business ownership is a good thing, but don't get it twisted. I'm going to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. A lot of emotions, a lot of hard work, and just what makes these businesses so special, the people behind them. Join me on my journey into the world of small business ownership. And if you enjoy the podcast, be sure to leave us a rating on iTunes and subscribe to the show on whatever platform you like. Today, I sat down with my close friend and coworker, Eric Sullivan. Eric is the chief operating officer at Midstreet Mergers and Acquisitions, and he's responsible for overseeing the status of the deals, managing and developing relationships with business owners, and creating the strategy for the company along with the team. We talked about his journey in being involved in small business, his craziest deal stories, precious metals, and much more. Thank you so much for listening, and let me know what you think of the episode. We're going to start off by opening these beers. Okay. Are we going to start? We're going to start the podcast and crack the beers. We're going to start the podcast and crack the beers. Do you have a way to open up your beer right yeah, there? Yeah, I've got a spoon. All right. You're going to see it for the first time here. So, Eric, thanks so much for being on the show, man. Happy to be here. Cheers, my brother. Cheers, Cheers to you as well. It's, uh... Impressive. <laughs> With the spoon. Right, impressive. Hey, cheers, man. Boom. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being on the show, man. So this is the owner-operated after-hours edition. Where we crack beers. Crack beers and talk about deal stories. So tell the audience who you are. Who so, is Eric Sullivan? Let's start there. Good question. Um, Eric Sullivan is a junior M&A advisor who stumbled into a career of helping business owners sell their companies and surprised himself at how good he was at it. That's Eric Sullivan in a, in a nutshell Brag today. on him a little bit right I mean, now. That's, it's the truth. <laughs> I, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of weird, you know. Again, my background is went to school, had no idea what I was going to do, didn't think that I was smart enough to really do anything difficult, didn't challenge myself in college, and I got out and wasn't very happy with the, uh, the result of that for obvious reasons. Um, <clears throat> and thankfully, I, I got hooked up with Jeffrey Baxter over at Midstreet doing some freelance work on the video side. And it just, it kind of opened up a world of possibilities for me. And over the last four years, the things that have, you know, kind of been presented to me and that I've been able to accomplish and do, honestly, it's a result of meeting Jeff at Midstreet, all his mentorship. But it's been a result of me kind of challenging myself and putting myself out there too. And we're going to get into your background because there's a lot to dig into there. I was One thing I forgot to mention at the beginning of the show, you're one of the few people in my life who I genuinely can't run out of things to talk about with. It's so funny. And and it's funny because, you know, for you, the listener, we literally share an office. We, we, we work in the same room. It's true. We, we really just like, there's so much to talk about between us because of the shared interest thing. It's miserable. <laughs> <laughs> 
no, no, it's not miserable. It's it's awesome. We, I mean, the fact that we both like the UFC, the fact that we both are doing you know similar work, we get to talk about the deals that we're doing. We get to talk about all the great owners that we help service, um, and every now and then. Who got punched in the face last weekend? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and you know the two hour travels back and forth to deals and stuff. Those are always great times with you. But oh, I've got some funny stories about <laughs> traveling in the car with Jonah. <laughs> we're not sure you're. We're going to skip past this. I, I think we should delve in a little deeper there. <laughs> so I guess let's start. I mean, just for the show. I mean, I'm one thing. I, I've gotten a lot of positive feedback on the show. One one piece of feedback I got was like just let us in behind the curtain even a little bit more into our situation and mm. you know how did owner operated even start so i i know that story and i can tell a little bit of that story but from your perspective you know when we we had a mid-street retreat back in december mm. at topsail island and we set we kind of set out all of our goals and what we wanted for this year to be and podcasting wasn't in that bucket not at all so and i know there was some initial pushback with that so like from your perspective where it is right now from where it started, what was that experience like for you? I mean, obviously, just so the audience knows, Eric was a big part in helping me like launch the show and giving me ideas I could bounce things off him. But what was your experience like just from that? Well, I mean, anytime you're setting out a plan, you, I mean, people will tell you if you, if you make a plan and you don't actually stick to it, you may as well have just saved your time and not made the plan in the first place, right? So there is an element of that. But when you make a plan and then something just kind of pops up in front of you that you can clearly see as a good idea that you are passionate about, I mean, it was a no brainer for us to encourage you to keep going in that direction. So to have you start the podcast, I mean, from the beginning, it was, this would be really cool if you were able to pull this off and and get people to join on the podcast and have good conversations, that would be awesome. But I don't think even we knew what it could turn into or what these conversations would be like. And in the last, I mean, the last few weeks of you putting this stuff together, it's been really cool to see like the response that people are having and the people who are like, yeah, I'll, I'll jump on the podcast. And some of the conversations you've already had, uh, you know, probably one of my favorites with Alex Brandywine is one of the ones I remember yeah, best. Brandywine. Oh, sorry. Um, <laughs> You're good. Sorry, Alex. <laughs> um, that, I mean, that's a perfect example of a conversation that when I heard it, I just was, it was, it was like, I, we got to the end of the podcast and I was like, I listened to the entire podcast and not one time throughout it that I think, man, this is getting kind of slow or anything like that. And, and not to say that that was my expectation, but I was blown away by how good it really was. And you're only a couple episodes in. That's so, awesome. Man. Yeah. So, I mean, that's my perspective. I, I think, uh, we always joke around and we say, you know, we got a future rock star in the building. I mean, I think you're coming into your own. Man, I think we, I think there's so much talent in, the, in at Midstreet. But, you know, it's so, one thing I just noticed, everybody's like, Jonah, you have a rock star, like, radio voice, man. Like, you really speak into the mic. That's Dude, so funny. You do, too. I'm serious. Oh, you, well, you, I appreciate that. You've got a little something going on over it, there. It's the blue moon. We'll, ah, we'll give the blue okay. moon the credit. Just so everyone knows what we're drinking. I'm drinking a Sierra Nevada Pale Ale. Mm. And Eric has a blue moon. Belgian white. Belgian white. So Correct. Delicious. Very delicious. Okay, so let's talk about your story. So I first met you was back in 2017, I think, when I was in Midstreet. That's a good question from me to you. What did you, I mean, how, what has it been like from 2017 to 2021, Eric? 
I mean, oh man, the difference is insane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's gotten a lot worse over time. Yeah, I mean, I no. used to be this great guy. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's been crazy, man. I mean, from my perspective, you were so. Just so everybody knows, Eric was hired initially as a videographer from what was it, Upwork? I mean, yeah. So I was. I mean, my story kind of starts back. My first job out of college, I was writing content for Leith Marketing. And while I was there, I just really wasn't happy. I mean, they were asking me to write content about things that one, I I didn't really care about. And every time I tried to write something that I felt like was truly going to help somebody. And by that, I mean, give them real information like, you know, this minivan's good for families and good for, you know, young couples, but it's not good for single bachelors. We'd get a phone call from the GM saying, whoever the heck is in your content department, I'm going to need you to tell them that my minivan is good for everybody, not just for moms, you know, and and dads. It's good for bachelors too. And it's like, that's wrong. I just just got to the point where I was like, I can't even write stuff that's going to help people. And so what I'm doing here is making no impact. And I, I mean, I just remember one day it had been on my mind. I mean, just like day after day, I'd been thinking about, you know, God, I feel like I'm just wasting time here. I don't really like what I'm doing. And at this time, I had started to acquire some video skills on my own, just like teach myself these things. And so I, I just kind of mustered up the energy and like the, the strength to just go, I'm just going to quit. I'm just going to quit today. And it's like, I didn't plan it at all. It was just like, today is the day I'm, I'm done. I walked into my boss's office. I said, Thank you so much. Really appreciate everything you've done for me. Um, Leith's been a great place. I love all the people, but I don't want to do this anymore. And so I you didn't, have, you didn't have a backup plan in place. No backup plan. So you burned the ships. I mean, I had no clue what I was doing next. I, I, I all I knew is that I had skills in writing, skills in marketing, and video skills. And I just said, you know, I'm, I'm going to put my two weeks notice in, and once that two weeks is up, I'm out. <laughs> And that was, I mean, it was, it took a lot of energy to do that. But honestly, sometimes, at least for me, the initial step is the hardest. Like, I don't know that I ever would have come up with a plan that would have been a great plan of, okay, I'm going to leave on this date. And from here to here, I'm going to do X. Because to be honest, I, I just didn't know what was even out there, what I could even accomplish. I'd never done freelance work or anything like that. Um, so I, I left the job. Uh, put on my two weeks notice, finished up my two weeks. And then I was out in the real world with a bank account that wasn't fully stocked, put it that way. <laughs> it, it wasn't, there, were, there weren't a whole lot of cash reserves. Yeah. Um, but I did have a camera and I did have the editing software that I would need. And so I just went out on a couple of different websites. I mean, one was Upwork, another was uh, Thumbtack. And I just started trying to get business. Um, I shot some wedding videos. I shot some videos for a real estate agent. I did all kinds of like odd sort of video jobs. And along that path, I ran into Jeff. And that's kind of how the Genesis Street really kind of spawned, Yeah, which is so crazy because when you think back to it, like, Again, I, I really just fired from the hip on leaving the job there, right? Yeah. I mean, if, if you looking back on it now, if I was advising myself, I would have been like, "Well, you really ought to figure out what you're going to do next." Well, I, I didn't do that, and it happened to work out in a way that it's kind of it's almost like equivalent, right? It was I had no idea what I'm going to what I was going to do, and it's kind of funny that what I wound up doing, I had no idea existed. So it's I mean, it's just it's an interesting kind of like thing it's I weird. never really connected. But yeah. yeah, I mean, that's the story. 
that's so that's so interesting to hear again just like especially like i'm I'm sure a lot of people and and this is a common theme of the podcast it seems is just a lot of people are at different stages in their life it's almost like this awakened versus unawakened thing right like some people they just have their jobs and it's fine and they really haven't gary v calls it cashing in on your passion you know there's a ton of different phrases for it yeah and there's like this awakenness that seems to happen with a lot of people and like obviously you went through that through sort of a chance reason me too um going back to your other your other point about what (laughs) my perception of you from 2017 to today it's crazy man i mean when i first met you obviously i was a lot younger too i was probably like I don't know, 20, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, 19. Yeah. yeah, 19. And um, so I had a lot of less confidence too, but y- just your presence on the phone, you were a completely different person. You were a video guy back then. You know, you were doing like video marketing and you, were, you weren't even like, it wasn't assumed that you were like part of the mid-street team. You know what I mean? It was just a bit of a different thing. And today you're vi- extremely confident on the phone, but that's because you have you know, three, four years of experience behind you. And you, you just kind of started to understand what the business is through reps. So, you know, there's a ton that I could say about that, but it's, it's really interesting to watch you grow. It's, it's exciting. And that's one of the, one of my favorite things about our company is that we're all so like personal development is ingrained in our culture. And, And that's really what it was, man. I mean, the personal development side, I think like where things really started to click for me personally is I used to look at jobs in a much different light than I do now. I used to think like, Oh, you, you know, you get a job, like you go somewhere, you, you want to get a good job. And I never really thought about what do I want to do for a career? You know, what do I want to put in my mind that nobody can take away from me? And I'm obsessed with things that people can't take away from you. I like education. People can't take education away from you. I like licenses, right? You know, any, any sort of accreditation that's mine, right? What else? I mean, there's, there's a lot of things, but I also, <laughs> Joe's giving me the look right now. I mean, another thing I really like is uh, precious metals. Oh, uh, there we go. <laughs> I, and, and we can get into to the reasons why. No, we'll get into it. I mean, that's that's really going off in, in right field. But I've, I've just always been obsessed with those types of things. And when I realized that I was, I was chasing after a good job and not thinking about what my career was going to be... Um, it was a complete mind switch for me. All of a sudden, all the skills, all the things that I was learning, it was for me. It wasn't, I wasn't doing it for a job. It was, I'm doing this because I'm trying to improve who I am. Because if I improve who I am, then all the other things that I want in life are going to come much easier. One thousand percent. And this is something that, you know, I was president of the real estate club at, at UNC for undergrad. And through that experience, one of the most rewarding parts of it is just being able to mentor. And just like when students ask me questions that are younger than me, and they're just like, I'm here's here's my situation i'm really not sure about this almost always my number one piece of advice and i don't have it all figured out but i have it figured out a little more than they do the number one piece of advice for me is always figure out the lane and that's something that you did by just trial by fire, right? You just put yourself into the pool and just figured it out. But there's a ton of different ways you can do it. You just have to figure out what lane you're going in. That's number one. A lot of people say they just kind of do a bunch of different things and they become a master of none initially. That's the wrong way to go in my book. I mean, maybe you can be successful that way, but but my opinion, the best thing to do is try a bunch of different things and then if find something that you really like and enjoy and you can find success in and it fits with your skills and abilities and then double down on that lane and once you once you figure out what that lane is now you can do all the development into it you can go super deep and if you've read, ever read the book mastery by robert green it talks about this and it's just such a good read on it, it 
it makes so much sense. You know, however old you are, you're going to go into a lane and, and be in there. Let's say you're in there for five years and somebody still hasn't figured it out and then they get into that job. Well, they don't have the five years of experience you did. It's simple math, right? And it seems simple and easy, but a lot of people don't recognize it and they don't push themselves out of their comfort zone to try new things. And so I, I commend you for being able to do that. And the other thing I mentioned before was called burning the, shi- uh, burning the ships. And it's a common sort of phrase that people use. It's just, you know. Oh, I see. I, I get the, you know what the I'm reference. Yeah, yeah. Like you, you the one way to commit to something fully is you burn the ships, right? You sail across the ocean, you exactly. land on a new continent, mm-hmm. and then you burn the ships. You're not going back. Well, whatever it, the it is. case they use is like you're, you're in the middle of a battle. Mm. And you have to take over. Yeah. And so you burn the ships to show the men that there's no, there's there's no, no going back. retreating. Right. Right. And that's pretty much what I did. <laughs> I mean, I didn't quite burn the ships. I'll be honest. If I wanted to go back and get that job at Leith, they probably would have given it to me. But mm-hmm. I tried to. Right. I mean, I, I, I wanted it to be like cold turkey sort of feeling like I just jumped in to the ice cold water and, yeah. and started swimming. Yeah. Um, but one of the things that you mentioned a second ago that I thought was interesting was just on that mastery piece, I, you know. One of the things that I think I've done in life that would probably benefit somebody else who may be in a stage where they're kind of searching for that next thing, trying to figure out what it is that they want to do. Um, you know, people who are listening, they don't know. I I started out you know, when I was in high school and, and through college, I, I taught myself how to rap and I, I wanted to be a, a professional rapper, right? That's what I, what I was doing. I was learning to freestyle, teach myself how to, you know, write lyrics, making music, all those things. And throughout that, you know, eventually I just decided it wasn't for me, right? Well, what I discovered is there's a lot of things in life and I, and there's other examples in my life that I can kind of point to where you get halfway down a road and you go, mm, maybe I should go a different direction. And I've even felt that way sometimes with this career. And I think it's just a part of my personality. I get into something, I get like relatively good at it. And I go, is this really challenging me in the way that, you know, something brand new challenges me? And so I'm, I have a tendency in the past to jump off of a path or jump out of a lane into a new lane just because it's something new and exciting. And I would recommend for people, you know, I, I kind of subscribe to what you're doing, you know, the things that you're, you're doing in life, the job that you have or whatever career you're following, there is something in that to be passionate about. You just have to find what it is that kind of lights you up and, and focus on that piece of it. Um, and if you run around chasing what feels most passionate to you all the time, you may jump in and out of lanes and never really make any progress down the road. And that was me for a couple of years. And, and I really feel like part of what's helped me be successful so far in this career and at Midstreet is I haven't jumped out of the lane. I've been kind of shifting lanes a little bit just in terms of like what I do here at Midstreet. But I've known for a while that this is the career path that I want to go down. And once again, once I committed to that, things really changed. Yeah, that's powerful advice, dude. Um, Let's talk about small business. So this is a podcast about small business. We have barely touched on it. I feel bad, but (laughs) (laughs) just been talking about just been talking about me. Yeah, let's switch it up. That's what it's about, though. I mean, it's about the the owners and the professionals in the space. So we're in. I would say that you know we're part of a select number of folks who are really passionate about small business ownership. Mm-hmm. Not, you know, and I've talked about this at length. I've talked and about small business owners and small business owners. Um, 
And it's not something that's, in my opinion, pushed enough by society, right? It's sort of that micro dirty job sort of thing. The blue collar businesses are, are not as attractive to someone. People seem to respect maybe a doctor or a lawyer more than they respect a, a you know, a plumber or a tradesperson. It's kind of this weird thing. And I've even been guilty of it when I was in high school of, of judging other folks for, for, you know, doing manual labor or something like that. But I just didn't, didn't understand, you know? So from your perspective right now with with what you've seen and, and, and for context, you've you've dealt with hundreds of business owners probably at this point. What's the what's what are some of the biggest if you were talking to someone who didn't know our space, they weren't involved in small business, maybe they had a job at a corporate career, or maybe they're just in college and they just you know don't know much about it. What would you tell them to sort of educate them on on what we what we do, but also like what small business is really about? People have a lot of misconceptions about small business. What is it really about? That's a great question. I think the like the one thing that if I could get across to any and everybody who isn't exposed to small business, but may have you know, sort of preconceived notions about it. I mean, for one, I had an idea that small business owners were just kind of like, you know, kicking up their feet on the desk, fat cats, making tons of money. And again, this is back when I was in high school and, and going through college, you know, just, just feet kicked up on the desk, collecting checks. Um, you know, everybody around them is running a million miles an hour. Um, and when you really get into the business world and you start to talk to some business owners and, and meet them in person, you realize that it's usually quite the opposite. The business owner is the one who's running a million miles an hour. Um, they are the last person to get paid. If everybody else is getting paid and there's something left over, then the business owner gets paid next. Um, and they generally are the most stressed out person in the room or in the under the under the roof, right? And now, if you build a company the right way, it doesn't necessarily have to be that way. And I say the right way; that's really not a great way to phrase it. But you can build a company so that it doesn't do that. But that's very difficult. And even the companies that are built that way, they're not without problems. And the business owners aren't without responsibility in those organizations. I mean, even the best of the best. How so, many how many owners have you seen? Be honest with the with the with the people. Yeah. <laughs> how many owners have you seen that have truly pulled th- out? That have truly pulled out. God, two out of a hundred. I mean, maybe that right maybe. there. And, and I and I mean, they're like eighty five percent of the way pulled out. Mm-hmm. They're still in the business. I don't think people understand that. People I don't think they do either. And and they don't they don't understand the stress. They don't understand the sleepless nights. They don't understand that most business owners that I've met truly, truly care about their employees, want to do what's right by their employees, feel very indebted to their employees, but I guarantee they outwork every single employee that's in that building, period. And and I mean, in some ways they should, right? It's their business. It's their tail that's on the line. But at the same time, we just didn't get that kind of education. You know, we, we didn't get that kind of messaging growing up. It's just, it was always, it was always kind of taught differently. It was, well, you know, the 1%, they're out, they're out, you know, just on yachts all day and on, on the golf course all day. And not that all these people are in the 1% or anything like that, but you kind of conflate that group of people. Absolutely. You really do. And at least, and, and again, this is me speaking from personal experience of how I grew up, the, the thoughts that I had until I was exposed to it. And so you kind of conflate that group of people and then you get exposed to those people and you realize that they are busting their tail, trying to build something, you know, some business that they've poured their entire life into. And people just don't get that, you know, and until you're exposed to it, I, I can understand why you don't. 
Yeah. So, so talking about small business ownership and your experience with it and, and just your kind of happenstance, you know, path towards midstreet, you didn't think this would be the path for you. Neither did I, quite frankly, what have, in terms of small businesses that you've seen, how has it changed your goals? Because I know, you know, particularly with you, we, we've talked about this, you and I talk about this a lot, goal setting and just defining your vision and what you want out of life. You know, two years ago, I can confidently say that your goals were different than they are today. How have your goals changed over the years? And what are some of the benchmarks that you're interested in achieving and based on what you've seen? Well, for one, I actually have goals now. Um, that's been a pretty major change. Uh, you know, I, I don't think I really, I, I wasn't very invested in personal growth and development. I, I wasn't putting in the, the time and the effort to really um, set those goals, understand how to even goal plan and how to achieve goals. Um, but I think one of the things that I, I've really changed on is, you know, people always say, everybody should work in a restaurant at some point in their life, right? People always say that sort of thing because they don't, you know, because people are rude to waiters and waitresses and don't want that, right? I think everybody should own a business once in their life. Truly, I feel that way. Because if you don't, you don't know what it's like. You don't know what it means when the buck stops with you every single day of the week. So a personal goal for me, I want to own a business of my own one day. One, one that I'm fully on the line for and see what that really feels like. You know, because I think it's a, it's a feeling that, you know, most people will never have the, the guts to go after, but you should, you probably should know what it feels like, right? It's, it's, again, the whole thing is, in my opinion, those guys have a tough road. Those guys and gals have a very tough road to building a very successful business. Just like it's tough to work in the restaurant, right? And so if you are looking at those people and passing judgments or have a certain idea about them, just remember you don't know what it's like to be them. Um, so that's that's my – I mean, that's probably the biggest goal that I've established over the last couple of years. Um, but how have they changed over the years? Because I know just from a lifestyle perspective particularly, they've changed. And they you, have. You've been working full time for some years now. And, and obviously, family life's important to you, but business is important too. So mm -hmm. how has that changed over time? You know, my goals when I was younger, they were get a job, have a family, um, be happy. <laughs> you know, that, that was a goal, which is a funny one now because – I just think there's a completely different path to those things. But today they're more focused around trying to be the best at something that I can be, like, like trying to be the best broker that I can be, the best business broker I can, trying to you know understand something better, trying to achieve a certain license or something like that so that I can be better at my career. So it's a little bit more um, – job focused or not job focused, but, um, career. career focused, a little bit more directed and less, um, abstract of like, right. I want to be happy. That's a goal. Right. Um, and other things too, like I want to take care of myself physically for the rest of my life, period. You know, it, those types of things have always been pretty important to me, but you know, I think I have a different perspective on what's possible for your life over the long term. And I've actually started to think more long-term over the last five or so years. Okay. Um, one, one thing I've been thinking about, I guess, this whole time is just, it's a common question I get, which is, so what do you do at Midstreet? 
Right? What do you guys actually do? Right. And even though it's like, it's so funny, you just Google our website and it's like, we sell small, you know, we sell companies, right? Successful businesses. Tell the audience, you know, what do we do and what is your role look like? Um, and, and just, I guess, describe the Midstreet team too, if you would. Sure. So what we do, I, I mean, we do a lot of things, right? I'm not going to go through every small little intricate detail that we do because people will actually pass out from boredom because <laughs> not everything that we do is, is a, a bundle of fun. But that being said, really what we do, you know, business owners come to us for a lot of reasons. They come to us at a lot of times, but the general uh, tone is they need our help. They have a goal, you know, they want to retire. They have to sell because of health reasons. They, want to hand the company down to their children, whatever it may be, they come to us with a goal in mind. And it's not a small goal. It's a big deal. Whatever happens with their business happens to their life. I mean, it's, it's a core life adjustment. Um, and so really what we do is handle the biggest change that any business owner is going to have in their life or one of the biggest changes they're going to have in their life as seamlessly and professionally as possible for them so that their life is improved after the sale. Um, that's, that's kind of the core of what we do, how we do it, all that stuff. I mean, there's a lot of ways to describe that. There's a, there's a lot of things that I do that are just kind of like touching different pieces of that whole process. Um, and that's really my role is to oversee the whole process, spin the plate, depending on what's going on for the day in a certain section of the process for a particular deal. Um, and just stay on top of as many things as I can, but that's, you know, that's what you do. That's what you do as the, the COO. You're, you're, you got to oversee it all. Yeah. Right. So that's, that's my daily responsibilities. Um, and I, <laughs> I think it was, uh, Melissa Herzog. She said, so you, you're the COO. That means you do everything. And I kind of laughed <laughs> and it's not that I do everything, but I am, I'm open to do whatever needs to be done basically. Right. I mean, whatever is falling down, that's what I've got to pick up. So, and that's, you know, just for, for the audience listening, imagine you're in a career just for a second, separate from what we're talking about. Imagine you're in a career and you're in your first year and now you're in your fifth year and in, right. It's your fifth year in the career, your fifth year. Now you're managing the, all of pretty much all of the operations of the company you're with. In what other situation is that going to happen? I mean, yeah, I mean, working for a small business owner—that's really the only situation that exactly. something and, like that and can happen. Even then, you hear so many stories of guys and gals working for fifteen years, and then they get—you know—so it's just the uniqueness of the opportunity and and the level. You, you got to put it in perspective how much you've leveled up over the years. It's pretty impressive. So that brings me to my my other point. This is something we've discussed a little bit before, but you know, you're you're. Well, you're getting up there in years, but you're not that. <laughs> you're not that old, right? Uh, you're, you're still right, you're still a youthful spring I, chicken. Yeah, I'm. You know, I'm the old guy babysitting the young toddlers, running around okay, the office, okay. keeping everybody in line. Okay, you know? but so so, how old are you? Twenty eight. Okay, and you're dealing with business owners whose ages are, on average, double my age. Do you ever have? How hard was it for you to get past that? And do you ever just pinch yourself? 
Yeah, I mean, it was it was tough for me to get past that. But I, but to be honest, we all, and I'll admit this, we all place mental blocks on ourselves to avoid doing things that scare us the most. And I really think that that was a big component of where I was at. You know, again, I, I like to say that I joined this career, joined this company, and kind of took down off this career path and have pleasantly surprised myself every step of the way. And that's just because I don't have this you know, great sense of personal confidence that I can just knock out any challenge that's in front of me. Now I do a pretty decent job. And like looking back, I've done a good job of all of those things, but I'd never have gone into something just thinking, you know, I'm going to blow this out of the water. Uh, it's just part of my personality and maybe I need to be more that way. That's a, that's a learning for me. But, um, you know, over the years, I think, I, I think I've really surprised myself and, you know, business owners where I used to think they would never sit down and want to talk to me. I have some of my best relationships with these people. I mean, amazing relationships with people who are twice my age. And it, it really shocks me, honestly, that I can be that close to them. But, but when I really think back in my life, the way that I grew up, the people I was exposed to, um, and how I've always interacted with people, it's really not that surprising. I mean, I, I've always been able to connect with others, regardless of age, regardless of you know class, regardless of any of those things. So why would it change here? Exactly. And, you know, let's talk about, you've seen a lot of deals now. Um, and you've seen a lot of, you've talked to a lot of business owners firsthand. You've visited a lot of business owners. You've made really good relationships with many business owners. What are some of the traits of successful exits with companies? Because, you know, if you're listening, we sell businesses. That's like our bread and butter. We do other things, but that's really our bread and butter. What are some of the successful traits you've seen in business owners who've had really good exits and, you know, quite frankly, really good businesses? What are, what are some of those game changers for them? Owners that I've seen that have been very successful in building a business, <clears throat> I mean, one of the things is they're, they tend to be very organized and, and they kind of like, they're, they're the kind of people that they don't leave at the end of the day, unless their desk is kind of cleared off. Like they're organized, but they're also disciplined. And, and really I think good business in a lot of ways is good discipline. There's a lot of things that have to get done every single day. And if you don't keep up with those things, next thing you know, you got a mountain on top of you, right? And you're fighting back up the mountain every day. So, I mean, that's one trait. Another trait is people who take care of their employees and who invest in other people. That's been a big one. I mean, when you run into some of these business owners and they have three, four really close employees who they've helped nurture their skills over years and years. Um, those people have some of the best buy-in from their team of any companies that I've seen, right? And, I, and I've been exposed to that a couple of times. And that that's really how you build a company that can survive without you for a week or a day or, you know, half a week, right? Um, now, to make it further than that, you got to do a little bit more than just engage your team. But but that's been a big piece of it. For sure. Um, talking about business and, you know, for context, you hear these stories about investment banking and you hear 100 hours a week, right? Ridiculous. Mm. Yeah. I mean, that's just... Those guys even, go through it. I can't even imagine. Yep. We don't do that. We don't. But we still work hard and we're at the office a lot and we're, you know, we're putting in our time. How do you manage 
family, business, friends, etc. Physical, you know, physical fitness, etc. What are some tips for the up and comer to do that? Well, I, I'll keep it really practical. I mean, the truth is we all have the same 24 hours a day to deal with, right? To work with. And in life, you have to make trade-offs for the things that are valuable to you. So what I try and do personally is really stop and think about what is valuable to me, right? What are my values and what, what do I place the most emphasis on in terms of its importance in my life? And I try and make sure that whatever those things are, no matter what else is going on, I hit each one of those things every week. I don't always do a good job of it. You know, sometimes I'm going to work more than, than I would like to. Sometimes I'm going to not work enough. Um, it's, it's just a, it's a constant balancing act. It's not easy, you know? And, and I, I used to subscribe to that work-life balance thing that you really should, should do that. But you know, that's one of those things you should, you, you really ought to do X, Y, or Z. And it's just not that simple. You know, some weeks you're going to have, a very high workload. Other weeks is going to be a little bit less. Some weeks you're going to go spend a long weekend in, you know, at the beach with your significant other and some weekends you're going to have to work. And it just, it's, it's life is full of trade-offs. And the same thing is true whenever you're trying to design your day and design your life around the things that are important to you. You may want to do 10 things in a day, but you might only be able to fit six of those things in. And if you can only fit in six, the other four that you lost, you got to try and get those in at another point because they're still important to you, but you just couldn't fit them in that day. Right. So you just got to do your best. I mean, I, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that you can, um, tune every single portion of your life to this, like perfectly, um, in line and, and quick sort of, I don't know what you would call it, but tune every single aspect of your life so that you can get everything done in a day. Because again, at the end of the day, there's 24 hours. You got to sleep some of those. At least I got to sleep some of those. Um, and you may not fit it all in. So just be prepared for that and do your best. What's been the hardest thing for you coming into the deal-making position? What's been the hardest thing you've either had to learn, you know, et cetera? Just how, how have you grown into it? What's been the hardest challenge for you? self-confidence, believing in myself, um, trusting that I am the trusted advisor and, and that, and it's the absolute truth, right? That's been one of the hardest things is, you know, and, and it really was more a few years ago, you know, just like trusting that I really am the person these people should be listening to. And today it's very clear to me that I am because I know a lot about selling a business. I may not know what it means to run a business, but I sure know what it means to sell it. And I know exactly how to do it. And so, that's probably been the biggest struggle is just that self-confidence early on. But once I broke through that, things really opened up for me and I was actually able to help people more effectively. How are you learning to build trust with clients? And this is something that when Jeff eventually gets on the show, I'm going to ask him about because he's the all-star with it. But yeah, he's, he's a, the trust all-star. Um, common ground is really important. You got to find common ground with people. You have to make it apparent to them that you really care about them. And, and that's, and I say that, but really what it is, you got to really care about people. You got to really care what happens to your clients. And that's, at least that's the way that I approach it. I, and it, some people say, don't get emotionally invested in things. I get emotionally invested in other, in other people and in, and in some things because it's the right thing to do. If I ignore the emotions of somebody's business sale and I just try and kind of stonewall my way through it, um, 
you don't, you're not really there and you're not really helping your client the way that you need to, in my opinion, because a lot of the stuff that our clients go through is emotional. So, um, the way to build trust with them, you gotta, you gotta dive in with them. And sometimes it may mean that, you know, you get emotionally attached to a a business or a deal or something going on and something happens and it doesn't just kind of hurt you from a business standpoint, it also kind of hurts you from a, an emotional standpoint. Like you, you list a business, you want to help these people. Um, and then something happens to the business and all of a sudden these people you really care about, you can't help them anymore because the business has been impacted and you can't sell it anymore. Now that's a, that's a sort of a rough example of a time where you can invest in some people because you truly care about them, but still not be able to help them because something else may happen. And so you could just go with a, eh, you know, who cares, <laughs> right? Who cares what happens to the business? But um, you don't build trust that way. What are some of your craziest deal stories? Oh, man. Now you've got some. <laughs> I got to redact names here. <laughs> um, God, craziest deal stories. I mean, I think probably one of my favorites, and God forbid if they ever hear this. <laughs> <laughs> I think one of my favorites is um, we were right at the day of closing. And... It had been a little bit of a tumultuous deal. The buyer and the seller just didn't see eye to eye all that well. And the seller wasn't fully emotionally separated from their business, right? And this is pretty common. When a, when a business owner goes to sell, a lot of the times they don't take the emotional impact into account. And so they get all the way up to closing and all of a sudden they, you know, they kind of fly off the handle at something that they usually wouldn't have. And you go, hmm, you know, I just I wonder what's going on there. And I know what's going on. It's a, it's a channel for emotions that they can't express because they don't really know how to, you know, they don't know how to express them. So, um, but anyway, we were very close to closing. Uh, it was the day before closing documents were being signed and everybody had to run around and get their docs signed. Well, you know, one of my clients, it was three partners in a business and one of them was out on a yacht in the middle of the Atlantic ocean <laughs> and he got his documents signed and the buyer of this business was in a small town in a state that will uh-huh. not be named, uh-huh. <laughs> uh, not too far from our headquarters. Uh-huh. And he was having just a lot of trouble getting those documents signed, just a, just a raw time of it. And so I had to jump in the car, drive out to the buyer's location and get them to sign the deal documents, the APA in person so that we could get this done on the day that we were all planned to sign. So all three of the sellers signed and one of those sellers happened to be on a yacht in the middle of the Atlantic (laughs) ocean and still found a way to sign. And this one buyer would not and could not figure out how to sign electronically. And so I had to drive documents a few hours away to his location to have him sign these documents so that we could get things signed and closed on time, which was really important. And I was happy to do it because that's what you do when you have to get a deal closed. You got to do whatever it takes to get it done. Um, But when my client found out that I had to do that, he lost his mind and I was on the phone with him and I had, um, Jeffrey Jr., one of our, our co our coworker, uh, sitting right beside me and he went 
off. I mean, he flew off the handle. And I, I mean, I, I would love to, <laughs> I'd love to reenact it, but I don't know if the the podcast is really set up for that. Uh, it was just, it was extremely graphic, and um, the words were quite sharp. We'll just say that. Okay. And okay. he was very, very angry that this guy couldn't just get his documents signed, and that I had to go out there and get oh them signed. Goodness. I think but, I know who this is. But, but really, what it was again is he was emotionally connected to a business that he loved and that he had devoted so much of his time to. And the feeling that this guy didn't care enough to find a way to do it made him fly off the rails, especially because his partner, again, who was in on a yacht, found a way to sign him. So this, I mean, there was really no excuse. Again, it was, it was kind of a silly situation, but it's a good example of you know, the emotions that somebody deals with and how deep a business is in somebody's life. Man, that's so that's one. That's so funny. Yeah, that's one. We're not going to reenact the scene because um, I, I wish I, I could. recently I... turned off the explicit button. On the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to do it for you personally sometime. Yeah. It was hilarious, but I just kind of sat there while he went off and just let him go. You know, it was I, I didn't try and calm him down or anything like that. I just kind of let him get it out, and you know, eventually he was. He was like, I'm sorry. I just, you know, I needed to get that out. And I said, it's, it's all good. Yeah. It's okay. You know, cause I, I understood what was going on even in the moment. What so about, that's um, your favorite sort of buyer seller, um, you know, deal story, right? So that was one of your craziest deal stories. What about your favorite buyer seller? Just, it just worked out well, right? What's your favorite sort of success story? Favorite success story where things just really worked out well. God, there's a couple. It's kind of tough to choose. I would say one of the more recent deals that we've done is a really cool success story. Um, Yeah, and and then there's other ones in the past. I'll I'll go with the most recent one. Um, We put together, and I'm going to use names because it's all all all, done now. Yeah, it's all done. So uh, Sweet Dreams Linens in Topsville, North Carolina. Seller, uh, Scott Erickson. Buyer, Matthew Smallwood. Um, Put these two guys together after having this business on the market for about a year. And it was right near the end of the season. So we were going to have to take the opportunity offline, kind of wait until next season to put it back out there and get a new crop of buyers. And we just hadn't had, we had some offers, right? We had a number of people who came in, made offers and they were okay offers, but they just weren't quite where we knew the business needed to be and where it could sell. Um, and finally we walk Matt Smallwood through Sweet Dreams Linens, and he meets Scott Erickson and Angela Erickson for the first time. And it was just one of those moments where you kind of st- you stand back and you're just seeing fireworks go off between two people. Mm-hmm. And I think the coolest part about it is those fireworks are still going off today. I mean, they're they're in you know at the near end of their training period. They're working through their training period, and um, you know I, I've just got very high hopes for these guys. I think. Even though Scott sold him the business, Scott's probably going to wind up getting back involved in the business yeah. um, because he gets along so well with Matt and because Matt has so many visions for what he wants to do in the future. Um, and, you know, that market is just ripe for growth. So that's one. And for anybody listening, the training period that he's referencing is when a buyer buys a business, the seller will train that buyer for a certain period of time. Correct. I think in this case, it was a block of hours, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's about a, a 200 block of hours. Yeah. So on like a consultancy basis, um, they get to basically train the buyer on how to run the company, any questions they have, et cetera. Yep. And then another one is the West Bend story. Have you, have I you love know that about one. the West Bend story? Yeah. Um, so West Bend, 
Vineyards, First Vinifera uh, Vineyards in North Carolina. Um, so most of the time in North Carolina, you're going to have muscadine grapes. This was the first kind of California type grape that was ever grown in North Carolina, um, located in Winston-Salem. Um, the owners of the company, when we met with them, um, the Crystallises, Jack Crystallis and Lily Crystallis. Unfortunately, Jack um, was not well and passed away. And Lily didn't know what to do with the business. And unfortunately, they closed. There was just, it, it just was not a, um, a pretty picture for the company. And a lot of people just thought, ah, oh, that's it. Yeah, West Bend's done. They're going away. Well, Jeffrey Baxter here at Midstreet helped them find a buyer. And what that buyer has been able to do with the company today and what, you know, the, the life they've breathed into the West Bend name, they've just done it so much justice, right? I mean, the, the company is awesome today. They're, they're building these beautiful vineyard, um, uh, what do you call it? Like showrooms. They're, they're doing beer now. They're doing events and weddings. I mean, they're, they're just knocking it out of the park. Funny story there. When we went to shoot that, um, success story video, there was a wedding, there was actually a proposal going on, right? You remember this? And, and I filmed it with my drone. That's right. So, yep. there, so there's a big, big whole vineyard, you know, lines and lines and lines of grapes. And I'm flying the drone. You're flying the and drone. And I see something going on. I go, that looks a lot like those people are proposing or that like that guy's proposing to that girl. And so I film it. And then like, it's so funny because later you hear the story because they, um, the girl who was getting proposed to went up to the owners of the company and said, whose drone was that flying? Can, is there any way we can get the footage? The funniest thing is the guy who was proposing, he hired a photographer to come and photograph the proposal. And she thought that he hired a photographer and oh, a drone that's photographer. So funny. So I, I really, I really upped that guy's game. I, mean, I, I made that proposal even better than it ever could have been. Uh, <laughs> um, I, but it's funny. I thought you were going to talk about the cornhole game that we played. Oh, That's no, what I thought geez. you were going to bring up. I mean, you know, we don't have to talk about it. That was before college. Okay, <laughs> you were in college. Yeah, but I wasn't playing cornhole like I did well, at the end. Well. I, well, I, at that Let's point, just say there were no was, There were some learnings there. <laughs> there were some real learnings there. Okay. 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 I'll give it to you. Okay. Just so everyone knows, wasn't my best showing, but I've done a lot since then. Yeah. Okay. He's, he's uh, apparently up this game since then. I haven't seen it, but I'll, I'll take your word for it. Yeah. Well, you know. <laughs> you can access previous episodes of Owner Operated and sign up for my free weekly newsletter where I summarize topics from each episode and send them straight to your inbox at jonahpalone.com in the show notes. That's jonahpalone.com. And if you like the show, please leave a review and tell a friend to help more people find Owner Operated. Back to the episode. So you've seen a lot of businesses working for Midstreet. You've dealt with a lot of owners. What you know, we've talked about the traits and success of some of your favorite companies, industries, and and I guess location too. You know, you said you want to own your own business in the future. What industries are you thinking about pursuing? Are you still kind of up in the air with that? Yeah, I, I don't necessarily want to wed myself to an industry yet because it could be five, maybe even 10 years before I decide to buy a business. And so, you know, knowing how much things change in five to 10 years, I would hate to say today, this is definitely the industry I'm going to go in because it, it's just bound to change. I will say that some of my favorite businesses 
that I've been exposed to along the way are the kind of unsexy sort of companies that fly below the radar. You know, um, we sold Miltech Toll Grinders, which is a company that's just extremely interesting. Super, super niched out. Yeah. What they do is they take, and I'm going to butcher this, but what they do is they take the honeycomb structure that's in a catalytic converter which goes in the in your car, in the exhaust system of your car, a catalytic converter, the purpose of it is to remove the noxious gases created by your engine whenever you drive. And inside of that catalytic converter, there is a clay or ceramic honeycomb kind of block, right? It's a honeycomb structure that they extrude. And what Miltech does is when the factory extrudes these um, honeycomb structures, before they spray them with the chemicals that you need that are going to remove the noxious gases uh, in your exhaust system, they basically have to cut them to size to fit in unique catalytic converters. converters. And Miltech takes the pieces that either break along the way because it's a ceramic material. It's not very hard. It's easy. It's kind of brittle. They take the pieces that either break in manufacturing or that are the what they call end cuts. So when you're cutting them to size, you have some um, misshapen and, and you know, odd size pieces that are left over. They take those and they literally just grind them back down into a powder and sell them back to the manufacturer. And they get paid to do that. I mean, yeah, I mean, everybody owns those businesses, right? Everybody <laughs> knows about those companies. That, that's just a great example of a, it's it's not a, you know, sexy business. It's not the kind of thing you, you know, you grow up saying, I'd really like to own a grinding business one day. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> what I'd like to do. I'd like to grind ceramic honeycomb um, structures. Structures. I, know, I always call them structures. <laughs> I just don't know what else to call it. It's a, it's, it's a, anyway. Platforms. I, I mean, that's definitely not it. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those businesses that flies below the radar. You don't even know it exists. And if you go on our website and you watch the video for Miltech, it's such a cool company. It's so Such cool. cool. And, and yeah. just as a side note, the owner of that business, John Brooks, one, got to call him, miss that guy. Two, one of my favorite people on planet Earth. Just, just so funny, oh, yeah. such a funny guy, but also such a good person who's taught me a lot along the way um, and was really good to me in an earlier stage of my career when I was helping him out. Oh yeah. John is a great guy. I mean, I haven't even, I don't even know him like you do, but you could just tell he's just yeah, one of those he's, humans he's that you just, you feel great around, which is, which is awesome. And man, that story is so funny. Um, <laughs> so gold and silver. And precious metals. We alluded to it earlier this episode. You're a gold bug, right? Absolutely. Name of my phone is Eric Goldbug Sullivan. That's and for me. people that are only interested in hearing about small business from this podcast, you can go ahead and click off now because we're going to talk about gold and silver for five minutes. Why did you get into it? Precious metals. I got into precious metals probably, I wouldn't say I got into it at a young age, but I got into the philosophy that kind of drove me to precious metals from a very young age. Um, you know, I'm, I'm from an era where you jump on YouTube and watch a conspiracy theory video, <laughs> not because, not because you were looking for it, but because it was delivered to you and you were 12. Yeah. Um, and so growing up, I just, I learned a lot about the federal reserve. I learned a lot about the monetary system in the United States. And, and I, I don't necessarily subscribe to conspiracy theories about those things, but I, over the years have actually taking the time to educate myself about some of these subjects. Well, actually, that'd be a good title for this episode, so that's fine. Conspiracy theorist Eric, Eric Sullivan, Sullivan joins us. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? 
if, if people want to call me a conspiracy theorist, that's fine. It doesn't bother me. <laughs> um, so I, I, I really just got interested in economics and, you know, if you look at the state of the country today and the direction things are going today, which is, you know, May, 2021, right now we are going through a period of inflation that most people probably didn't think would ever happen, right? If you, if you look back, you know, even at the beginning of this year and people were saying, we can't go spending all this money and expect there to be no inflation. And people go, oh, you just don't understand how the economy works. Well, now we're in the the depths of it. And now it's, it's getting to the point where you can't deny it. And I kind of liken it to when COVID really started to become more of like a, a cultural phenomenon and everybody knew what was going on. One day it was very weird to wear a mask to the grocery store. And the next day it was very weird, not wearing a mask to the grocery store. And all of a sudden, just overnight like that, it was commonplace and it was accepted that that was the way that you behave. And again, if you look back at the way that people have you know, looked at the economy and talked about the economy over the last couple of years, what's happening now? They just, I, I, it, it won't happen. None of that's going to happen. And to be honest with you, it's my opinion that the Fed, Federal um, Reserve, is out of levers to pull to rein in the inflation that we're having now in the country. And because of that, what I see happening is the value of the dollar is probably going to degrade some. I don't, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to be an alarmist or a doomsdayer. I don't, I don't know what's going to happen, but I do know that I've worked pretty hard to get the money that I've got and I want to hold on to it. And so that's why I put it into gold. I'm not trying to get rich. Yeah. I'm not trying to, you know, make a bunch of money off an investment. I just want to have what I've earned and keep it, you know? So that's why I like gold and silver. <laughs> and, and, you know, I like gold and silver too. What would you tell somebody who was getting, just kind of looking into it? They don't know too much about precious metals or gold and silver. Well, what would gonna, you tell them? You're going to hear a lot of people say things like gold's not an investment. Um, gold's not, it doesn't provide a yield. And all, I mean, all those things are true, right? It's, it's, it's maybe not an investment. I'd more call it a insurance policy or a way to actually save your money. Because today you put your money in a savings account. Well, it's getting eating, eaten away by inflation all the time, right? The dollar is worth less. Things are, are, you know, it takes more dollars to buy the things that you want, which if you look around today, that's happening everywhere. Um, and if you look back, it's, it's one of these things too that kind of like, kind of bugs me. People say like ah, inflation's not that big of a worry. We've had you know small amounts of inflation over the last fifty years. Well, we still had inflation constantly had inflation. And if you look at what a you know what fifty thousand dollars would have bought you in nineteen fifty compared to what it buys you today, well, do nineteen sixty compared to what it buys you today. I mean, it's a substantial difference. It's a su substantial difference, and I don't know it off the top of my head, but go look it up, and. And so you can say, well, we've had such a low rate of inflation over this period of time. Well, I would somewhat agree with you, but a lot of things, an economy doesn't only have to inflate. There are deflationary factors as well. And so why haven't we seen any deflationary factors? Well, it may be because we've separated ourselves from any sort of gold standard where we have sound money. And instead, we've just started to print money to solve our problems. And a big part of it is, in my opinion, Government's gotten too large. 
It's very top heavy. And the only way that you feed that large government is through either taxation of the population or more spending, deficit spending, where you print money and you spend more money than you actually bring in the tax revenue. So because it's tough to raise taxes politically, nobody wants to raise taxes. It's much easier to say, we're going to do this spending bill. And that spending bill is going to be for infrastructure. We're going to use it to stimulate the economy. Well, it stimulates the economy somewhat, but it also can hurt the economy. And we're seeing that in a lot of ways right now. Um, so anywho, I, I, you know, that's kind of the, that's kind of the, the whole reason behind it is I just don't, I don't trust that the Fed has my best interest in mind when it comes to me financially. I, I think they've done a very bad job of managing monetary policy over the last 60 years. And this only, in my opinion, has one direction it can go. And that's more money printing, more deficit spending, um, and more debt and a weaker dollar. And so how do you protect from that? There's a lot of ways, the way that I choose gold and silver. What do you think about Bitcoin? Bitcoin's tough for me personally. I mean, I know a lot of people who like Bitcoin. Um, Just cryptos in general, I guess, too. Yeah, cryptos in general. I mean, again, this a lot of people are going to be like, oh, my God, this guy's <laughs> driving me nuts. <laughs> and I get it. Look, I, I don't look into Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies all that much. The one chief issue that I have with Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies is, and, and this is where people are going to go, ugh. I can't hold it in my hand. And I know that's silly to some people, but it means something to me. If you can't hold it in your hand, even if it's, I mean, it's, it's not used for anything aside from being a cryptocurrency, right? It's only use is being a cryptocurrency. And so because you can't use it for other things, there's not a whole lot of, in my opinion, intrinsic value there, but you can't deny the appreciation of Bitcoin over the last five years. Um, and there may be something that I'm missing. And and if somebody, you know, if somebody wants to say, well, you know, if your investment strategy is gold and you look at Bitcoin, you, you really kind of picked the wrong horse. Look, I get it, right? Bitcoin, a lot of people made a lot of money in it. Um, and a lot of people didn't make a lot of money in it. So it's easy to say now when it's a $50,000 that it was such a great strategy. But in my opinion, there's no there's no sound reason that it went to $50,000, and I don't see it staying at $50,000, especially when Elon Musk can tweet one time and it can drop by 10% or it can go up by 10%. Um, that doesn't make me feel super comfortable, personally, investing in it today at $50,000. Um, and I think there's a lot of people like that. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think I have a lot of opinions on it, but I guess the overarching theme for me is I really don't understand Bitcoin all that well. I really don't understand gold as well as I would like to. And even the same with stocks and you know, and in investing in equities mm -hmm. and bonds. I, you know, I, I obviously I've read about them. I've learned about them. I've had classes on all the different things, but to really understand an asset, you, you got to devote so much time. Oh my goodness. You have to be, you know, it, I would argue you really have to put a lot, a lot of hours into it. Right. Mm -hmm. So my opinion on it, even though no one's asking, <laughs> I'm asking. Is, <laughs> I want to know. I just really think you need to stick to 90% of what you invest in should be what you know. That's my opinion. You know, I think you should, you know, if, if it's small business, then put your money where your mouth is and invest in small business and 
you know, for me, it's small business and real estate. That's like where I'm going to put my chips into mostly. I like all these other things. I like gold. I like crypto, you know, cryptocurrency. I have no problems with. I'm a little bit more hesitant to get into it than gold because gold's been around for so long. That doesn't mean I won't invest in it. It's just those things I see as, you know, gold I see, gold and silver I see as sort of a insurance policies, cryptocurrencies and all these other things. And I kind of, I kind of lump cryptocurrencies with stocks with maybe I shouldn't because it's sort of a, you know, it's a currency versus an equity. It's just more speculative to me. But, you know, that said, I, I put money into things like VTI and index funds and stuff like that. So, you know. We're not giving stock advice in this podcast. We are not. That much. This is not financial <laughs> advice. I I really like um, the miners, like the gold and silver miners. That's a good way, in my opinion, to kind of leverage your potential returns on something. And again, like I said, I, it's not a it's not a get rich quick sort of scheme. I just like to feel like my money's not going anywhere negative, right? I like to feel, I mean, if you look at gold over the last couple of years, as we've gone through a lot of money printing in the last 20 years, it's gone pretty well for gold. And and not, you know, it's not, not Bitcoin's chart, but that's okay with me. Because in my opinion, Bitcoin's more of a speculation. And there's a lot of charts out there that can look kind of like Bitcoin does that eventually don't look like Bitcoin does, right? And gold so far hasn't had that same kind of move. So that's my feeling on it. I just want to protect my purchasing power over long periods of time. And if you hold on to dollar bills in an inflationary environment like the one that we look to be heading into right now, you're going to lose some of that purchasing power. And I tell you, we, we just work too hard. All of us, everybody listen to this. You just, you work too hard to make that money. So why allow it to be chipped away by bad monetary policy? That's my feeling. You sound like a politician. Uh, the thing I like about Bitcoin is it's in the same conversation as gold in the sense that let's take out the government's ability to make decisions for us on our money. Mm-hmm. You say, we're going to put it into the separate non-controlled government, you know, non-government controlled entity. And it's going to have its own value in, in relation to dollar. I love that about Bitcoin and, that's and cool. also anything, right? Anything that's in that same bucket. Yeah. The one thing that is tough for me about cryptocurrencies in general is they there are so many of them out there. And to create another, there is no – there's no um, – Yep. There, there's nothing right now that says you can't go out today, Jonah, and make your own cryptocurrency. Um, and so because of that, what what really separates one from another? Now, there are there are certain people that say there's like different technologies that each one's going to apply to. That's a piece that I don't understand that well. I'll admit that. But what I know about gold, gold is an element. It's a metal and it's on the periodic table and it's it's a element that has some pretty unique properties. One is that you drop it down to the bottom of the ocean, you pull it up 100 years later, it's the same piece of gold you drop down there. It's very, it has a lot of staying power. We'll put it that way, right? It's very stable metal. Um, you know, in comparison, you have a bar of iron, you leave it outside, it's going to rust. Um, even silver is going to corrode over time. It gets that tarnish on it that people are, you know, that's why you polish your silver. Um, but gold has that unique characteristic that it, it just has that staying power and it's very stable. 
And something about that really appeals to me personally. So, I mean, that's that's a big reason why the cryptocurrency is like I can I can go out tomorrow and make a cryptocurrency. That doesn't make me feel comfortable. I I didn't I didn't make gold. Nobody did. It's been here, yeah. right? And and I like that about it. I respect that. I respect that. So we'll circle back to a couple of small business topics, and I'll let you get out of here. Um, just so everybody knows, this is the After Hours Owner Operated Podcast. So you're joining us today at what is it, 9, 9.30? Yeah, 9.15. One of the things I want to talk about, a lot of the connections I have, a lot of the audience, they're just starting out or they're like considering what career path they're going on, right? What would you recommend to someone, because you've been through this process and I've been through this process, what would you recommend to someone who's, you know, thinking about small business, but maybe they already have a corporate career that they're in, in right now, or maybe they're in college? What would you recommend as some first steps for them? personal growth and development. <clears throat> I mean, if you're, if you're in college or you're in a corporate career and you're thinking that you're not happy where you're at, look inward first. Don't blame what's on the outside as the, the reason for your unhappiness. Go the personal de- growth and development route. Um, try, try to build a foundation from within and then make decisions from there. Because I've made decisions in the past thinking it was the right thing because I was unhappy in a certain place. But really what it was is I was just unhappy with myself and with the way that I was controlling my life or the way that I was approaching life. And so, you know, a lot of times people get caught up in this repetitive jump from one thing to another, jump from this horse to the next horse to the next one, when really they got to look at the rider um, and decide. You've done that before. What was that like for you, that process of looking inward and how did you get there? I jumped on a lot of different horses and eventually I realized that none of these are making me feel better. And if that's the case, why? And what am I running away from? Right. Um, You know, you just got to be honest with yourself. You just have to be honest with yourself. And and sometimes it, it requires you to really step back. And that's such a funny, like when people say things like that, it's like, okay, step back. What, what does that even mean? You just have to, you need to set some time aside for yourself to really observe the life that you've been living and ask yourself, is this who I am or who I want to be? Or am I going down a path that really I know deep down inside is not right for me. I love that advice because that's something I talk with my friends about all the time is just this regular reevaluation. That's what I call it. Regular reevaluation. Every, for me, it's like every month, even sometimes like every week, I'll just think about things. And it's like, I find that to be so, so valuable because, you know, when I was younger, I grew up and I wanted to be a doctor and I was, I had these blinders on and it was just, in some ways, maybe I could have been a really successful doctor, man. But maybe now looking back on that, that would have been a terrible mistake. And without having those reevaluation periods, I, I mean, I had one of my first reevaluation periods when I was in high school. And like the cadence of that was like every several years, right? Now it's like every couple of weeks. I just, I can't recommend that enough. And it sounds like you've been through that process. You're still going through it, obviously. You For know, sure. We, we are, yeah. but. Not the finished product, never will be. Yeah. But, you know, I just, it's so important that people get that, get that. Yeah. Message. Especially if you're in a, if you're going through a period of time where you're kind of second guessing what you're doing or second guessing your direction or not feeling confident that 
where you're headed is where you want to go. Um, it's really important in those moments to really step back. Like I said, take some time for yourself, really set the time aside and put some real thought into it and look at everything honestly. Um, as much as you can, you know, it's, and I'll be honest with you, it's tough. You're probably not going to get it right the first time. It's a, it's a skill that you have to practice. Um, and then once you figure something out, once you realize what it is that's holding you back, have the bravery to address that issue. Because sometimes the issues that are hardest to address are the ones that you need to address the most. All right, Eric, rapid fire question. Oh, round. All right, let's do this thing. All right. Favorite book you've ever read? We're going real easy for the first one. Come on. Favorite book I've ever read? Yep. Oh, man. That's not easy. Um, The New Case for Gold. Okay. Okay. Do you remember the author's name on that Um, one? Jim Rickards. Okay. Got it. I'll link to all the stuff that we talk about in the show notes if it has a relevant link. That's a really good book. FYI. Why do you like it so much? It's, it's a, I mean, this guy, he is the authority, man. I mean, he's, he, he's the guy who's taken all the time to think through the whole reason to own gold. Um, he doesn't advise you put all of your money into gold and I don't give financial advice, but also don't do that. Um, and he just, he knows what he's talking about, man. He, he lays out the book in a very organized and well-written fashion. It's enjoyable to read and you learn a lot about monetary history, monetary policy, um, and where gold fits into that whole picture. I I think one of the things really quick that people forget is gold used to be a very big part of our money and now it's not. And people treat it like it never was. I know. And the other, the craziest thing about gold to me, and this is a really good, we're getting into it now. We're right back, right back down into gold. gold. Um, Hidden secrets of money. A couple gold bugs. (laughs) (laughs) Cheers to that. Um, Hidden secrets of money on YouTube. Look that up. One of the best video series that you can possibly spend your time on. Yeah. It's educate yourself financially. Yeah. It's, it's game changer. It's game changer. And, um, you know, he's, he's not even a gold shill necessarily. He, he advocates for, for Bitcoin and other yeah. kinds of currencies as well. He does. One of the funniest, um, just the craziest stories of gold that I remember reading. And you can look into this. I don't have the facts and figures super accurately in my head, but I think it was in the 70s that the government told people, you cannot own gold anymore. You have to give it back to us or like sell it back to us or something like that. You... It's insane to think about that, yeah. right? I mean, just think about that. And it's not really worth anything anyway, right? It's just a rock. So it makes total and sense that they wanted the it back. The biggest question, why would they do that? That's really the trip. Is yeah, there's, you know, there's some things to discuss. There may be some learnings there. <laughs> there's some things to discuss there. But, you know, I think, I think one of the other, <clears throat> excuse me, really big trips is um, if gold's not an important thing to hold in your own portfolio... Why do central governments around the world hold massive hoards of gold in their portfolio? Why would they do that if it was just, you know, kind of a a worthless piece of metal? India. Yeah, I agree. China. Yeah, China. Yeah, seriously. You name it. All of the developed countries, they got a lot of gold, including the United States. Not as much as we used to have, but Mm. on to the next topic. Okay, that was your favorite book. Favorite movie? Favorite movie? Uh, my favorite movie 
is the Zodiac Killer. Really? It's my favorite movie. Okay, I that, love that, that movie. That movie is so well made. That's with, um, with Robert Downey Jr., right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep, and um, Jake Gyllenhaal. Jake Gyllenhaal, that's yep. right. Oh, that's and, a good movie. And that movie, it's just like, it's so cerebral, and they do such a good job of pulling you into the emotion of like the frustration and not being able to figure who this guy is and you know, figure out who this guy is. Um, it's a great movie. Okay, definitely check it out. I, I watched that like a couple of months ago on Netflix, I think. Good movie. And that's just, there's a lot of good movies out there, man. That's tough. No, that's the one we're going to stand on. I know, that's so weird. I was like, this gold bug also likes the Zodiac Killer. What in the world is wrong with this guy? <laughs> okay, so three, what do you like to do for fun outside the office? You know, what What helps you sort of reset? Like I said, we don't work 100-hour weeks, but we work long weeks. What helps you reset, you know, family time, physical fitness, etc.? Climbing. Rock climbing is the thing that really helps me reset. It helps me get centered up. Uh, you know, it, it helps me stay calm, you know, because when you're 30 feet up on a rock wall and you're getting tired and your arms are burning and you're afraid you might fall, even if you are tied in, you still get that same kind of pit in your stomach that I'm going to fall and die. <laughs> it's this really <laughs> weird feeling. Um, but that that is a good reminder of how to keep yourself calm and just the the physical fitness that you get from rock climbing it's the most fun exercise i've ever found in my life and i just i love it i love that man i'm a nut i'm gonna rock climb until the day i'm dead really (laughs) yeah is rock climbing like a really cardio you know stressful workout or is it more about the technique it is a lot of technique you can you can be a very strong person and not be a very good climber, but you can't be a very good climber who doesn't have good technique. So it really is more about technique, but there's a lot of strength involved. There is a lot of cardiovascular work involved. Um, and and I I think the technique is part of the fun of it. It's a lot like jujitsu in that way, right? It's, it's, uh, you have what? I was just going to say the (laughs) jujitsu. It's a lot like jujitsu in that way because there's so much technique involved and it's not about being the brute strength guy out there. It's about learning the moves, learning when to use the moves and how to kind of string everything together so that you flow really well when you're on the wall uh, and you can serve as much energy as you can getting up the wall. So yeah. similar. Got it. Okay. Last question. Um, owner operated podcast. What advice do you have for me career wise? You're a couple, I mean, you're a lot of years older than me, but what, uh, what advice would you have for me for the podcast, but also career wise? Stay in the lane, keep going in the direction that you're going. Don't let small things discourage you. You're doing awesome. You know, just keep going. I see big things ahead for you with this. So just don't stop doing it. And if you're listening, don't stop whatever you're doing unless you need to change directions and reevaluate. <laughs> then, then stop. <laughs> then stop. Then take and a step <laughs> back. Yeah. Take a step back and reevaluate. Cool, man. I think that's it for us. Awesome, man. All right, brother. I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much, brother. Thanks for having me. All righty. This episode of Owner Operated is sponsored by On Tops Roofing, a family-owned and operated business servicing the Triangle area of North Carolina since 1991. With a long-standing commitment to quality work and customer service, Ontops has grown to be recognized as one of the most respected roofing contractors in the Triangle. They offer roofing work, window replacements, siding replacements, and gutter installation services. Check them out at ontopsroofing.com. That's ontopsroofing.com.
Thank you for listening to Owner Operated, conversations with small business millionaires. Be sure to sign up for my weekly newsletter at jonapalone.com, where I share the takeaways from each episode and share any resources or tips I find valuable. And if you like the episode, please leave a review on iTunes. It really does help the show grow and send it to a friend that you think would benefit from it. Thanks so much.